Good morning, Restoration Advent, week three, concentrating on joy um, and peace. And the idea uh, behind joy in Advent is much more than feeling happy, much more than trying to um, celebrate something and, and be excited and generate our own excitement. Now, joy is much bigger than that. Right now in our world, in, in, in this year, it's been so difficult and so painful and so frustrating. Plans have changed and division and all of those things. And joy, choosing joy, okay, not choosing happiness, not choosing uh, shiny, happy feelings, but actually choosing joy is, is about choosing the long game. It's about choosing to see where our hope goes. And what's important, I think, for the people of God, especially right now and especially during Advent, is to choose joy. To choose to be the kind of people who celebrate God's goodness, who are grateful. Um, and, and there's an alternative story all around us that is anti-joy, that is about fear, that is about... Um, uh, testing people for what they say and how they think and how they believe. And right now in this moment, for the followers of Jesus, it is actually warfare. N.T. Wright called it guerrilla warfare in our culture to choose joy. And that's what this letter in Philippians is all about. And we've shared this with you numbers of times, 16 times in this letter uh, to the Philippians, Paul is thanking them, but he's talking about his joy. He's talking about how to rejoice and that he is rejoicing in the midst of the fact that he is in prison, that he is poor, that he doesn't have much. Um, he's thanking them for their gift. And just last week, you know, we've been chewing on this letter for quite some time. And just last week, we talked about this uh, idea of contentment. And that this idea of contentment is actually part of what it means to heavenize the world, to be a colony of heaven. Uh, Paul says early on in, the, on in the letter how important it is for the people of God, how important it is for this church, that no matter what happens, live as citizens of the gospel of the king. And today is kind of a part two on this conversation about contentment, and it has to do with generosity. Paul is actually uh, just grateful uh, um, and thanking the people of Philippi for their generosity towards him as he's been in need. Last week, we studied these uh, couple verses here. He says, I'm not saying this, and you remember he throws in a disclaimer. He's, he says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Verse 12, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul's lived both those places. He's like, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all, thing, all this through him who gives me strength. And to clarify, he's saying, I just want you guys to know, I was okay. I was content. I was rejoicing in the Lord. I was having a celebration in the Lord. 
and then you sent me these gifts. So I was doing good beforehand in my spirit, but I wanted you to know how thankful I am for what you sent. Um, and then he says in verse, t verse 14, we're going to work through the text here. Um, not going to be a long sermon because last week was. This week's a little shorter, and we're going to celebrate with communion and, and being together later um, on our all-church call. But uh, he says in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. He's like, your generosity towards me actually was you sharing in my troubles. He says in verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, you know, he's like 10 years ago, 10 plus years ago, we met, that's when we met, and um, as you know from that point on, um, he's like, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church, he says, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Paul is referring to a friendship, a Greco-Roman friendship here. And the friendship in the Greco-Roman world of equal parties was also a financial friendship, meaning if we were friends, uh, we shared in giving and receiving back and forth to each other. And Paul is talking to them about his friendship. And he's saying that you're really the only friends I've got. You're the only real, true friends when it comes to this kind of uh, picture of a Greco-Roman friendship of giving and receiving. And he even points out an instance when he was in Thessalonica and twice they shared aid with him. And Paul's in Thessalonica with the Thessalonican people, um, and the Philippians are the ones that are caring for him. He's like, basically, guys, listen, I've been all over Corinth, Philippi, you know, Thessalonica, Athens, all over. And you're the only ones that have cared for me. And you're the only ones that have uh, given to me in this way. And... Um, and this is, uh, this, is, this is the best part. Um, he actually writes, Paul actually writes a letter, uh, three letters, we believe, to the Corinthians. Um, and the second one um, in our scriptures talks about the Philippians. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 8. It says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Who are the Macedonian churches? Well, it includes this house church in Philippi. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, we don't know what that was, their overflowing joy, there's that word joy again, and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, their extreme poverty and their overflowing joy is in a sense a math equation that put together welled up in rich generosity. What's amazing is it's almost like it doesn't matter how much you have to be happy. In fact, as many of you can attest, if you've been in different parts of the world and, and a lot of the conversations we have with folks who are on the ground in 
more of the poorer places on our planet, you will find some of the most generous people. Hands down, period, end of story. And there's a gratitude and a willingness to share everything they have with a guest. And in the West, we're individuals. We grab for ourselves. We fight over toilet paper and other things in our country. But he goes on in verse 3. This is this letter to the Corinthians. He says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. They gave until it hurt. And even probably further. And even beyond their ability, he says, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. They begged to be a part of it. They didn't want to be left out. They had to be a part. And they exceeded our expectations, he says in verse 5. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So this act of giving that he's talking about to the Corinthians, about the house church in Philippi and others, is they worshipped God first, and, and that was their partnership with us. And so he's telling the Philippians this. He's like, listen, you guys get it. This is from the bottom of my heart, thanksgiving. I am so grateful. I'm overflow with joy because you guys get it. That's what Paul's saying. And then he says in verse 17, Philippians 4, not that I desire your gifts. He's like, I'm not after your money. I promise you. And we'll get into more of this in a second because there's a backstory to this. But he's like, I'm not after your money. He says, what I desire is that more be credited to your account. Now, this is a tricky verse because a lot of the prosperity gospel preachers use this verse in a twisted, heretical way. Now, I'm not going to get into all that, but basically what Paul is actually saying here is, what I am after is what happens to you because of your generosity, because of your choice, because of the way you're thinking about giving. Now, what's interesting is a few weeks ago, we talked about thinking, and Paul talked about, hey, these are the important things to think about and that we need to change our mindset and change our thought patterns. And so if all we're thinking about is money and accumulating money, you're not going to be a, the kind of person who thinks about giving money. Um, and we'll get into that some more here in a second. He says, I've received full payment. Now, this is a legal term. Remember that Greco-Roman friendship pact um, it's about a financially reciprocal relationship. And so the idea is I've received full. I mean, our friendship is so paid up. It's actually overflowing. It's not like a friendship fee back and forth, like, hey, 20 bucks, be my friend for the month. No, it's, it's, it's our friendship has a, a give and receive to it, and I am full. I mean, I am paid up. You, you are more friend um, than I can imagine. And he says, I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then he says, they, the gifts, are a fragrant offering, an acceptable 
sacrifice pleasing to God. Now, this is obviously Old Testament language. Um, the Jewish people understood this. In fact, even the Greek uh, Hellenistic uh, kind of uh, Roman you know, former worshipers understood this. Like even to go to Zeus or uh, Apollo or, or Poseidon, you would bring a sacrifice. You would bring an offering. You would bring something of value with you. Um, and more on that here in a bit. But the reality is, is that when we come to worship God, we bring value with us. We bring something to lay down. And we'll get into that here in a second. And he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. He's like, you worship a generous God. You worship a God who meets needs. And then he switches the language and he goes from my God to our God. And he says in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all about worship for Paul. Now, here's the thing. A little caveat. Whenever you talk about money from the Bible in the church um, and you're a pastor, it tends to be a touchy subject. It tends to be get people feeling weird. Um, there's something so big going on here, though. It's so important for us. And we're taking everything as it comes in Scripture. Now, this passage tends to get hijacked as a church giving push, meaning um, I, I teach the text and then I tell you uh, to give to our church. And, and coincidentally, some of you are going real nice, Ryan. Um, it actually falls on a day where we talk about our church budget in a couple hours. Um, and, and that is not intentional because what you need to understand is Paul isn't talking about church giving. Paul isn't talking about um, just supporting your local church, okay? Paul is talking about being generous people. Now, that includes helping the church and do its mission in the world. Yes, absolutely. But Paul wants us to be generous people. I want us to be a generous community. Whether your money comes to the church or some to the church and some somewhere else, or your money goes to the places that God has pulled you and called you to, to push your money. Because the, the point of the matter is you being generous. You living a life of generosity. And we'll get to that here in a second. Um, Paul talks about a few things here. And he talks about the fact that sharing is good. In verse 14, he says, it's good of you to share. And parents of young kids, you talk to your kids about sharing all the time. You're like, share your toys, share this, share that. Uh, and then some of you, they've been beginning to have conversations about money and, and giving things away and things like that. Um, Paul actually, in the beginning of the letter, he actually alludes to the beginning by talking about sharing. He says in verse 3, I thank my God, this is chapter 1, every time I remember you, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he talks about this partnership um, with the fact that they've given him gifts. 
being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the, until the day of Christ Jesus. Remember, this is a, an allusion to Genesis 1, talking about creation and completion, and that God stepped back from creating and said, this is good. And this is the idea behind this. This is what Paul is bringing to the table from the Old Testament narrative. And he says in verse 7, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, whether I am in change or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. You share in God's generosity with me. God is a generous God, and his grace is generosity. It is undeserved. It's unmerited. It is generous. It is lavished on us what God has done for us. All that language is right out of Genesis. And so when Paul is talking about completion and sharing and all of these things, he's talking about God in his full nature. The fact that God is Trinitarian, that God is in three persons all together at the same time, mutually giving and receiving. So when Paul talks about his friendship with the Philippians, he's talking about this giving and receiving friendship that's beautiful. And what Paul is alluding to is the Trinity, how the Trinity that Jesus, the, uh, the, 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 the Son of God and the Father and the Spirit and this this idea of this mutual love and giving and receiving that God exists in self-giving love and joy. And it continues before creation, through creation. And, and we are created, as it says in Genesis, as imago Dei, as image bearers of God. That we actually can enter into the giving and re receiving of love with God and with others. That's what righteousness is. That's what right relationships are. And we are little c creators. We actually have the creativity and the ingenuity and the intellect to love, receive love, and to be generous with each other. And we are invited into the goodness of this generosity. That's what we're invited into. And so Paul is making a point. He's saying, when you and I copy the generosity of God, when we we copy God in generosity, we actually, something happens in us. We fundamentally begin to change. We are more fully alive and fully in God's nature, experiencing who God is, than at any other time in our lives. That those are the moments when we are generous with our lives, when we are generous with our finances, when we're generous with people and graceful and giving grace and generosity, we actually tap into God's nature. That we actually begin to, uh, to experience freedom from anxiety and greed and we experience joy and, and contentment um, because generosity is the cure for greed. Generosity is the only vaccine for greed. Last week we talked about discontentment. And um, when, you, when you give, when you, when, you, when you give away, you're set free from the anxiety that is latent in money. And discontentment is, is, discontentment is looking at your need meter in your life. Constantly thinking about your needs. 
oh, I've got this need and I've got this need and if only I had this and if only I had this. And your need meter begins to grow and grow and grow. Finally, it begins to redline and all you can think about is your needs. Generosity is the only vaccine. And then Paul talks about a partnership in the gospel and this is all technical uh, language out of a Roman Greco, a Greco-Roman business partnership that um, when two parties come together to grow a business, um, basically Paul's saying is we are kingdom business partners. We are in business together. We are in business about the kingdom. The gospel is our business. It's not a profit and loss thing. It's actually a partnership that we mutually, mutually all make sacrifices for. And we all partner together. We link arms in the gospel together. And that also has to do with finances. And then he alludes to some things here in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham being a blessing, this idea that we're funnels, not bowls, meaning that, that what we have, we don't keep. But what we have, we funnel to other people. We, we, we send down the line. And this idea that generosity actually should be generous. Like we actually should be generous uh, with our giving. Um, that we gave, uh, Paul talks about in Corinthians, that they gave um, uh, further than they could. I mean, they were, it gave till it hurt and even beyond. And he's saying to them, you get it. And that you and I are invited to, we are invited into the worshiping of God with what we have. That's part of the act of worship. We actually worship God with our stuff, with our money. And people think that, oh, I just need to give God a percentage, um, uh, and and the and that percentage is enough. That Paul, that God just wants a percentage of what I get. The reality is that God has given us everything, and so if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in the kingdom, if you are a kingdom person, you step into this new kingdom, this new allegiance, okay, with God with everything you have. You don't leave your finances outside the kingdom and then step into the kingdom and then reach your hand out and, and deal with your finances that way. No, no, everything you are, everything you have is in the kingdom. And so that's why it is worship, okay, to give to the poor, to give to those in need, to serve the less fortunate. That is worship. That is, that is worshiping God. It is worship to support a missionary team or an organization. That is worship. It is worship to help, uh, for instance, Sunika in Nicaragua, which we hope to put together a trip for later this year. Um, they're doing a water project right now, and they, they actually are on their way towards uh, getting that finished. It is worship to give towards that. It is worship to give to your church. It is worship because everything we have is in the kingdom. Now, that is the starting point. Um, this idea of you, you know you are becoming more like God when you give till it hurts. Because God is a generous grace, just expensing God that give, gives until it hurts. 
And we know that God gave till it hurts because of the cross. And we start with something. It doesn't matter where you are in your life. You start with something. You begin the life-giving practice, the life-building practice of giving more and more and more and more. And the reality is, and this is the final piece, that giving is worship. That generosity is worship. It always has been. And when you look at the sacrifices and the temple and the tabernacle and the livestock and the crops, that was currency. When you brought a unblemished lamb or a bull or some doves or whatever you came with, you brought things in your hand that have value, that had status, that had currency, and you brought that. Worship has always been about sacrifice, not about emotion. It has always been about sacrifice. And if your worship does not cost you something, if my worship does not cost me something, it may not be worship. It may not be worship. Over and over again, in the Old Testament, when you came to worship, you came with something in your hands, something that had value. This isn't about fundraising. The temple wasn't fundraising. It wasn't a tax write-off. It was worship. And so to wrap up, I just want to help us understand that Paul, he actually might sound a little embarrassed to you a little bit here, a little squeamish. And if he comes across as a little embarrassed, a little squeamish, it's probably because he is. And, and the reason why, and think about the context. In Paul's day and age, there were traveling orators. There were traveling speech givers called sophists. And sophists would show up. They were traveling. Some of them were just traveling charlatans. That They would memorize a great speech. They would go from town to town. They would get in the public square. And, you know, we have concerts, what well, we used to. Um, they would have traveling sophists. And these sophists would show up and they would give a, an incredible speech, you know, entertaining speech. May, might include stories, rhetoric, things like that. And then they would actually ask for money. They would take people's money and then they would leave and go to the next town. And Paul, from the outside, he, he's just, he wants to make sure that there's no discrepancy, that this, what Paul is about is the gospel, about something sacred. Um, and outside, I mean, he could be confused with a, with a sophist, you know? He could be looked at as a con artist um, and trying to take people's money. And here's the thing. The same thing's true with me. <laughs> Just being honest. Like, some of you are like, okay, well, I've been in churches. Uh, it seems like the, the pastor drives a nice car, has nice clothes, um, golfs all the time. Um, what do you even do? Um, and there's this, um, this I, mean, it's, I mean, list after list of scandals, right? In churches, um, us pastors don't have a great rap. Uh, I get it. And so it's uncomfortable to talk about giving to the church. And I want you to understand what I'm talking about is being generous. Okay? That might include that. The reality is I want us to be a generous community. 
I want people to go, man, I can't even believe the generosity that community heaped on me in my time of need. I, 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 I want to be known. I want us to be known as generous. Jesus on the low end, depending on how meticulously you scrutinize the teachings of Jesus, on the low end, 25% of his teachings were about money. When it's way more than 50. It was a central issue for Jesus. In part, some of you, the reality is you've been burned by the church because the church has actually, you know, chosen different pieces of scripture to benefit a financial um, boon for the church. And um, whether it's a, <laughs> I'm going to get myself in trouble, but whether it's a building campaign out of the book of Nehemiah or whatever, okay, um, you've maybe experienced a little bit of like unease when it comes to how scripture's been used. Um, I just want you to, to know we're an average church. Um, our budget's small. Um, we, we don't encourage you to give uh, completely through us and then let us dispense it, although we do that sometimes with our Acts 4 fund and our benevolence and things like that. Um, but there's so many great places to push your money towards. There's so much need, um, whether it's overseas or right around the corner. Uh, the, the point is you and I being generous. And maybe there's a way for you as a house church to come together and think of a specific need that you can rally around as a house church. And we want to get more intentional about that, especially as we head into the new year of how each house church, each of our house churches can be on mission together, um, not just writing a check, but actually being on mission together. And that includes our finances. And so Paul is not... He, he, Listen, Paul is completely after their joy, bottom line. He's after their joy. Now, I want to be really clear, and I think this is really important, something to wrestle with. Money is not always evil. You know, if you've heard the passage that says money is the root of all evil, no, it's actually the love of money is the root of all evil. Money, I'm, I'm not saying money is all evil. I'm just saying money isn't always evil. But here's the thing that's very important for you to understand. It's never safe. Money is never safe. Think of gasoline. Gasoline is powerful. It, we use it to, to propel our automobiles and to start our lawnmowers and whatever um, we have. It's powerful. It's not safe. I don't store gasoline in my house. I don't have it in a jar on the counter. I keep it in a marked red, okay, fuel canister in a locked shed because it's not safe. Money is not safe. And what, what we're talking about is how we think because this all goes back to a couple weeks ago when Paul talks about it is important how we think. Like, think about these things, whatever is good, noble, all those things. We got to think about that. Now, the question is, here's the big question. Are we thinking about our need meter? Or are we thinking how we can be need meters? Little play on words. Need meters 
are people who look for, think about ways they can push their generosity towards. But if all we're thinking about is our actual personal individual need meter, we're going to miss out. We're going to miss out on joy. Paul wants them to continue to be the kind of people that partner with him, that joyful, uh, overflowing, give till it hurts kind of people. I want us to experience this kind of joy. The worship of God who is generous. How do you worship a generous God? By being generous. That's how you worship a generous God. And the question for us, and, and I really want to wrestle with this in our, in our house churches, is uh, what are we thinking about? Uh, what is holding you back from a true generosity, from real generosity? What's the next step? What, what's the, the place you can go and, and then take that next step past when it's a little painful? What does generosity look like for you right now? Let me pray, and then we're going to come to the table uh, this morning um, and experience the generosity of God around the table. Father, thank you so much for this beautiful friendship between Paul and the Philippian church. It's just, it's such a joy to see it. It's a joy to read it. And you have so much for us. You, the invitation for us is generosity, to worship you. A generous, loving, grace-abounding God who relentlessly pursues us, overwhelms us with generosity of love and forgiveness and grace and God, we are grateful, and that's why we come to the table this morning, to experience your generosity. We pray these things in the name of your Son. Amen. So if you've got communion supplies, uh, maybe you still need to gather those, you can go ahead and pause right now. Otherwise, I just wanted to begin this conversation around the table. And I've brought the table with me. Here, you can kind of see it. And I'm going to do my best to not spill this. The table, all throughout Scripture, is about generosity. It's about acceptance. When you would eat with somebody, culturally, it was about acceptance. It was about friendship. It was about invitation. And all throughout scripture, this is the case. It's celebration. It's all of those things. Jesus' ministry and his teaching, Jesus talked a lot about the banquet, the banquet table. And he, he go and read some of these parables about the banquet table, the feast, and how more people were being invited. And you don't want to miss out on the wedding banquet and all of those things. And at the Last Supper... Jesus and the disciples are reenacting the Passover meal around the table. A, a meal that talks about God's lavish provision and love and acceptance and joy and celebration for his people. And Jesus is around the table with his disciples. 
and he sits shoulder to shoulder with these apprentices that he has in his, in his circle. And he begins to tell them about what is going to happen to him. How that through him, God is going to pour out his generosity unlike at any other time in history. And this generosity was for them. And this generosity is for us. And the table is a reminder of God's lavish generosity for us. And we're powerless, really, to free ourselves from our own sin and death. We're powerless, and Jesus makes a way for us. And so what he does is he takes the bread, and he breaks it, and he says, This is my body broken for you. And this was a scandalous moment because they were actually to take a, a piece of the bread and eat it and remembering God's generosity, remembering God's faithfulness and love for them. So this morning, take and eat. And then Jesus did something amazing. He passed the cup again. It had already been passed a few times because of the Passover meal. But he passed the cup again, and he lifted it up, and he said, Hey guys, this is a picture. This is my blood shed for you. This is, my, this is the generosity of God through me shed for you. Take and drink. Father, you are a generous God. You gave well past pain. You broke yourself open for us. We are your people. We are your apprentices. We are choosing to align our lives after you. God, show us what it looks like to be generous. Give us a taste of the joy. Give us a taste of the freedom that, that happens when we pour out our lives for people in need, for the gospel, for the good news, the announcement that Jesus is Lord to be taken all over this world. God, show us what it looks like to worship a generous God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Go talk about it.